We're wrapping up a series tonight, The Recovery of Lost Joy. This is part nine. And no doubt you'll get an email this week talking about what we're going to be doing next on Sunday nights when I get a title kind of nailed down in my brain. You'll hear about it. Once I know, you'll know. Okay, we'll do it like that. Spiritual weariness and the fortifying power of the peace of God. And what a great text we have to kind of wrap up with. Philippians chapter 4, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. And these have to be some of the best known, most loved. And maybe for that reason, easily read without pondering deeply the kind of ideas that Paul is unpacking here. It's kind of like a song that just rolls over you and you have to stop and say, wait a minute, what's that again? What's he saying there? Philippians 4, starting at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, that's interesting, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but instead, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, in Paul, in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What great words. I mean, without a doubt, we're looking at some of the greatest words of encouragement and instruction that you could ever get in a single paragraph. And you notice the repeated emphasis on the subject of peace, verse 7, the God of peace, verse 9, and that's kind of why I wanted to wrap up this series, Recovery of Lost Joy, with this subject, the fortifying power peace of God. And notice the promise in the middle of verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You guard, you guard things that are valuable, things that are important. You don't lock up your Kleenex but you might put an alarm on your house or on your BMW. A bank has a vault. That's where you keep valuables. You guard them. You lock them up. You keep them safe. And here's what we're supposed to notice right at the start of this study. Paul says there's something in my being, my heart, my mind. Paul is saying there's something about Don Horbin in his walk with Jesus, listen, that is not automatically safe. Everybody get that? 
There's something about me, my walk with Jesus, that is not automatically safe or it would not need guarding. My heart, my mind, they, they, they need certain care. I take that, when, when, when Paul says, Don Horbin's heart and mind need guarding, I take that to mean there are enemies on the outside that want in. I'm not talking demon possession, I'm talking ideas, arguments, values that can look very appealing. And they want in. They want into my mind. They want into my heart. And Paul is saying, "You, Don, you have to constantly keep what's supposed to be left out, out. You have to guard that mind of yours, that heart of yours. Make sure the wrong ideas, the wrong values, the wrong ambitions, the wrong affections, Don, make sure they don't get in there. Well, great, Paul, how, 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 do, how, how am I supposed to do that? That's what the study's about. Heart and mind. You have to be careful because... They're terms that are used in the scriptures, but not always used the same way. They're used in different ways in different parts of the Bible. Sometimes the heart and the mind are exactly the same thing. As a man thinketh in his heart. So heart and mind, no difference. It's where you do your thinking. But not always. Sometimes you see variations. The heart in Scripture is often the seat of your will, where choices are made. Your willingness to choose and steer your life properly, it comes from the heart. David created me a clean heart. Your mind is related to this, but in other parts of the Bible, it's the place where options are weighed. It's the, way I, it's the way I come to look at things. It's the options that my mind places before my will. A, B, C, which is better, Y. The values, they get shaped in the mind. They steer what I'm going to do with my will. Now, now, Paul says there are all sorts of things that can happen in a world of our circumstances, things outside of us. And he says there's a way of guarding, literally garrisoning is the word, protecting my mind and my heart. So these six verses, I think, are some of the most important in the Bible. I know it's all God's word and Shoot, who can say which are the better verses? Like, I'm not even playing that game. But these are sure important verses. They're important because, well, everyone's interested in peace, for one thing. But more important, perhaps, because they reveal that people will never find peace just by looking for peace. Peace is like joy. If you go looking for it directly, you won't find it. Peace is a byproduct of something else. Pursue godliness, you'll get joy, peace, freedom. But pursue any of those things without first pursuing godliness, and you'll end up with 
Well, you'll end up with counterfeit addictions and emotional letdowns and discouragements and confusions. So, Paul, what are the steps to guard our lives with the peace of God? One, make glorifying God. These are just life principles, church. Make glorifying God the central concern of every action of your life. It's in 4.4. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So I want to say this because I'll show you how easily we can get off base here. The command is not to rejoice. The command is to rejoice in the Lord. And it's amazing to me that I won't say who this is. This is one of the most prolific Christian authors. I would guarantee you, if you read Christian books, you have books by this person in your home. One of the most prolific Christian authors, and they're all going, who is he talking about? doesn't matter. Prolific. And here's what he says, talking about this very verse, okay? Here's what he says. Because we have repeated the term in several synonyms throughout the book occur so often, the whole idea could begin to lose its edge. Don't let it. Rejoicing is clearly, clearly a scriptural command. To ignore it, I need to remind you, is disobedience. So, in place of worry, start spending time enjoying the release of your humor. Find the bright side of life, the sunny side of life. Look for things that are funny during the day. Loosen up. Laugh freely. Laugh more often. Don't read the grim sections of the newspaper. Now, there's nothing terrible in what's being said there. It just has nothing to do with those verses. Nothing. Paul isn't just telling people to lighten up and laugh. Paul's emphasis in this verse is in that little phrase, in the Lord. And that's a loving command, because if my joy is founded, rooted in the wrong things, it's going to evaporate when those things disappear, when trouble comes. I have no peace if what makes me tick can disappear with a fall in the stock market or a depressing doctor's report. But if I can rejoice in the Lord, I mean, really rejoice in the Lord, it's not just a glossy religious slogan, it's a heart-searching reminder. And so let me just ask you a really important question. Don't answer it too quickly. Do you find your ultimate joy in the things of the Lord? I'm not asking if you're a morally good person. I'm sure you are. I'm asking you if you enjoy what you know about, what you have in Christ Jesus, more than you enjoy anything else in this world. It makes you happy. Paul is diagnosing much of the source of spiritual weariness and a lack of joy with that command. Rejoice in the Lord. He knows that's the true measure of my relationship with God through Christ. You can see it throughout the Bible. 
Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. Obviously. I'm not going to meditate day and night on the ways of God just out of obligation for very long. It's a delight. It changes everything when a duty becomes a delight. You're sick in the hospital. Jonathan comes up. Nurse says, go in and see Chris. Jonathan goes in to see Chris. <sighs> well, I'm here. Uh, board says I'm not making enough visits, so I, I... So I'm here, okay? Visited you already. Let's pray. And he leaves. Does that mean very much to Chris? Why? He visited him. But it was just a duty. It wasn't a delight. But if someone comes up, I'm in the hospital, and Jonathan comes up to see me, and he goes, and I go, oh, man, Jonathan, I know you're busy. You've got lots of people to see. You don't need to see me. And he goes, oh, man, I couldn't wait to see you. It's my joy. This does more for me than for you. It just does me such good to see you and to pray with you. I want you to know how much I love you. What's the difference? One, it's two visits, right? One is duty. Okay, I'm here. The other's a delight. And in his law, he meditates day and night. It's a delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Here's another one, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. This has to be the most misquoted, misunderstood verse. If I delight in the Lord, I can ask him for anything I want, and he'll give it to me. That's the way a lot of people read that, and it's not what it says. What he will give you is the desires of your heart. And of course, if I'm delighting in the Lord, what are the desires of my heart? Well, Anything that delights the Lord is going to be most important to me. What he gives me isn't money and a new car and this and that. It's the desires that grow and intensify. My delight in the Lord, and as I do, he gives me more delight in his presence and in his goodness and in his grace. Psalm 119.14. In the way of your testimonies... Here's one. I delight as much as in all riches. What a great verse. I mean, the psalmist knows how to, how to make a point. I mean, how easily we throw around those pious words when we're addressing God. How many times today in churches across North America are Christians going to sing about how much they love God? So to keep those words from becoming just hollow, the psalmist, he forces himself to actually quantify, qualify. What, 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 just how real is his professed love for God truly? And he's pretty practical. He says, take, take all the money I'm going to make this week. 
or this month, put a dollar figure on it, and all of it together is never going to satisfy my heart like you do, God. Psalm 119.92. If your law had not been my delight, do you see a theme here? I would have perished in my affliction. This is slightly different now. Now the psalmist looks at the joy of the Lord from another perspective, and it gets very close to Paul's thoughts in the Philippian text. The psalmist is saying, if his joy had been rooted in anything other than God, when his affliction came, it would have evaporated. It's a great verse to underline in your Bible. So, Paul would remind us, if we want to have the peace of God guarding our hearts and minds, Look to the source of your deepest joy because there is a picture of your future. Look to your deepest joy because there is a picture of your future. Look at point number two. Life governed by divine reason. It's in the fifth verse. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Reasonableness. Epiakesi is the Greek word. King James has moderation. The NIV says gentleness. ESV says reasonableness. Christian Standard Version, graciousness. All of which struggle to capture the, the essence of that Greek word. It's, it's really just a a patience, a reasonableness. Maybe the best idea is it's the ability to keep things in balance when everything is spinning out of control. Times of trial come. Times of turmoil come. There are moments requiring major decisions, and you maybe don't feel ready to make them. Times when loyalties are tested. You get the picture. Stuff happens. And my tendency can be to, to either panic, scatter, get distracted, get worried, take things into my own hands. After all, if I don't look after these things, who will? And Paul rushes to answer that question. He says, Don, <laughs> let your reasonableness show here. And remember, however you feel, alone or confused, the Lord is at hand. The Lord, it's not a threat, it's a promise. When everything is coming unglued, the Lord is at hand. When you might not feel that close to him right now, he's there, right there. Something just, I don't want to push past those simple words. Where are you right now? Where's a point where your soul might be churning? Are you wrestling with difficulty? Do you wonder why everything is suddenly out of season instead of in season? Tendencies to feel you suddenly have to do something, maybe something drastic. I need to get God to care. And, and I want to bring this to your heart today. This promise, you don't have to get God close. He's at hand. You can stay patient, gracious, gentle, any of those terms. 
have to confess, when I was little, it's kind of embarrassing. When I was little, I was deathly afraid of the dark. And I don't mean little like two. It stayed with me in my four, five, six, seven. I was afraid of the dark, terribly. It made me panic. I never, ever, ever went to bed as a kid without a nightlight. I can remember when we'd be on family vacation, didn't stay in hotels in those days. <laughs> Campsite, tent. I had the job of blowing up six air mattresses. They didn't have any of these things. You <laughs> Six air mattresses, when you start to hyperventilate, you're done. It would get jet black at night. And I was in a strange place, and I wasn't used to my surroundings, and I would worry that everyone else was asleep, and I was the only one awake. And there was just nothing scarier than that, this jet black tent. And then I'd just hear my mom's voice. She would hear me tossing around, and she'd say, we're right here, Don. We're still, we're still awake. Let's go to sleep. I thought, Phew. Somehow made all the difference in the world. They were at hand. They were there. I just want to practically press that for a minute. When, when you feel you have failed God too badly, and that he couldn't possibly care anymore, He's right there at hand, right there. When you think you can't possibly live with that spouse a minute longer, the Lord is at hand. When you think nobody else cares how faithfully you serve in that ministry and nobody even thanks you anymore, then the Lord is he's at hand. He's right there. That's what Paul is saying. Keep, keep your joy in the Lord. And to do that, you need to avoid the rashness, the distraction, the fury, the sorrow that forgets his presence. Remember, he's at hand. Let the Holy Spirit help you retain, restrain rashness, foolish actions. You don't have to resort to panic. You're not alone. You can pray. Seek God. He's there. Point number three. I got to hurry. Whatever else happens, stay soft and tender before the Lord. It's in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication is more a kind of prayer that deals with, with my own entreat for my sin, my unworthiness. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. There's something that strikes me as weird here. You would think that Christians, right, Christians plagued by worry and fear and anxiety, you would think they would just naturally bombard heaven with prayer. Why would you have to tell Christians who sense their need so deeply that they should pray? And yet Paul tells these troubled Christians, Oh, by the way, he says, don't forget, 
pray. He said the Lord is near. Pray. I take that to mean that prayer can easily drift from being my first response to life. When things are going tremendously well, I don't feel I need to pray. And when things are going terribly, I don't feel like praying. I can feel unworthy. I know how I've contributed to my own problems lots of times. I can feel like my faith is so weak, my prayer isn't going to do any good anyway. The truth is, in a church this size, there are people who are in serious situations, difficult situations, confusing situations, who maybe just aren't praying. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray for When you're under attack, keep control of your mind. Look at 7 and 8. We're almost done. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, I talked about this at the beginning, will guard, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, he's going to talk more about thoughts now. Verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, Don, think about these things. Because because the first thing that happens in any trial or temptation or unsettling set of circumstances, the first thing that happens is my mind tends to get knocked off its normal footings. It, It gets shocked or confused or depressed. And there's another factor that can complicate the picture. My mind and my will are the primary objects that Satan attacks during this whole process. I don't mean, I don't mean that all of the unpleasant circumstances are directly caused by the devil. I don't mean that. What I am saying is he's always ready to use whatever trials and difficulties come into my life to doubt the goodness of God. So remember, I said earlier, the mind and the will, two things that definitely need guarding. That's the point Paul is getting to in our text. Verse 7, peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's such an important principle. Doesn't matter what the situation is. Maybe you're worried about the future. Maybe you're panicking because you might be the next one laid off at work. Maybe you're lured into some horrible temptation because you're sure this other person would be a much more understanding partner than your present spouse. Whatever the situation is, if you just let your brain go on its own, it will go in the wrong direction. That's what Paul is saying. He says, my heart, my mind need guarding. And he's reaching for words to say, When you're under attack, it takes work to think straight. That means if I'm going to make it through, and I can, there are certain, if I'm going to make it through, there are certain ideas I will just have to kick out of my mind right off the bat because they aren't options. Guarding, guarding. 
You have to treat them like a virus on your computer's hard drive. You wouldn't believe how many Christians don't know that. They come to entertain options, opinions, values that aren't even in the ballpark of scriptural teaching. And, and that's why this verse isn't just flowery prose about nice things to think about, that eighth verse. Paul is saying that there will come times in my life when I have to get down to brass tacks and find out what the truth of God's word is. If there's whatever's true, Don, this can't be done. This isn't an option. I can't do that, and I can't do that. Why? Because I can only work with what's absolutely true. Do you know how much agony would be spared in the body of Christ if Christians just limited themselves to what they, here's the truth. I'd like this, only it's not true. It's a lie. That my desire is taking me here, but, oh, it's not true. That desire is deceptive. I'm not going to define my identity around it. Obey that little verse. There's a beautiful power in the truth of God. It liberates. Lastly, here's the bottom line. What you know is right. Thought it all through. What you know is right, do right away. It's in that ninth verse. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. It's, just, it's To me, it's a challenging thing to come face to face with the truth that I can lose control of my own heart if I'm not careful. I can get to the place where just part of me wants to be right, but a whole bunch of me wants to go in a different direction. I have to guard against that. Right now, that, by the way, that's what the Bible calls the wages of sin. You just get swayed off base. You can't keep track. You can't see the truth. You can't control your own heart. But right now, while God speaks, Paul says, I can control my heart. That's what those verses promise. I can usher in the presence of God. I can welcome him as the God of peace, and the God of peace will be with you. And the secret, Paul says, I never separated the grand ideas of the Christian life from my daily actions. Practice these things. The God of peace will be with you. And everyone said, 